0: It's not about waiting
1: until you don't have the fear to do the things you want to do. It's about going, here I am right here, right now. The fear is going to ride sidecar Uh and I'm still going to do the thing that I want to do. I don't have to wait to do the thing I want to do or be the person I I want to be until the fear is no longer present.
0: This is your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 294 with guest Kate Courageous.
2: This is the Your Kick Ass
1: Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self help and
2: badassery. Because, ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who
0: serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, ass kickers, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. Guess what? So a couple weeks ago, end of July to be exact, your Kick-Ass Life podcast crossed 2 million downloads, which blows my mother-loving mind. Seriously, I thank you all so much for being loyal listeners, for telling your friends about it, for leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or probably some other ways that I don't even know about. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, this podcast has been really a labor of love for me since 2013 so long now. And it's really one of those things that I have decided I'm going to keep going with. I have no plans of stopping. In fact, we have plans of making the podcast even better. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to say it a million times. Thank you for 2 million downloads. And there is more fun things to come. That being said, if you have not left a review wherever you grab your podcasts. It would mean so much to me if you did. I know we all have intentions of doing that and very rarely do we ever do them. And it really does make a difference. It makes a huge difference in so many different ways for me and for my livelihood and for me to be able to continue to do this show. So if you could take a minute and do that, I would be so incredibly grateful. (laughs) All right. So this is an archived episode that I am dropping for you today. You may or may not have heard it. And even if you already have, it's worth a listen to again. And it's been a minute since this episode has aired with my dear friend, Kate. Always has wisdom bombs. She and I overlap a lot on the things that we talk about, but she talks about them a little bit differently than I do. And I always love to have people on here that do that. Just more stuff to put in between your ears. More good stuff to put in between your ears, I should say the reason that I'm doing this is my last of the archived episodes that I am bringing you is because a couple of reasons I did decide to take the entire month of July off and as I'm recording this intro we are officially in August now and my break is over and I am eyeball deep in writing the proposal for my third book so I've been talking about this third book for a while now haven't I The whole process for traditional publishing is a long one and sometimes complicated. And I don't mean that to scare anyone away from writing your book because please, please, please write that book if you've got one in you. But there are a lot of hoops to jump through and different things that you need to do. And it depends on this and it depends on that. And so long story short, this has been a little bit more of a longer story in terms of the whole process. And at any rate, I am sitting down to write, which I haven't done. You guys, like I really haven't sat down to do hours of writing probably since I wrote my last book. And I confess, I'm a bit of a quote unquote bad writer because as creatives, as writers, as authors, we're supposed to Write every damn day, right? I think that's a hashtag. Write every damn day. And I have not been doing that. There's been so many other things that I've been doing over here at Your Kick Ass Life. But this year, I have decided that I all I want to do, all I want to do, and it's mostly because it's the thing that I think I'm really good at. No, I shouldn't say that. It's the thing I know I'm really good at is writing books. And speaking. So, speaking on stages and speaking on this podcast. Yes, I still will continue to work with women on a private basis. If you want to do that, email us. We'll find you something that works for you. And that's it. Therefore, I am saying no to a lot of other things and saying yes to writing and saying yes to speaking. All of that to say, I'm taking a long way telling you this story, the whole point of my story. I'm sitting down to write some sample chapters for my proposal for my third book. And have you ever like been doing something for a long, like maybe you're a runner and you even run marathons and then you stop for like a couple of years. And then that first run that you go out on, you know, you have all your gear, you, you know, it's a nice day. You know what to do. You know how to put one foot in front of the other. You know what good form looks like. And then you just slog the fuck through it. And you're like, what? What? Whoa. What is how? I don't remember. That's how I feel. (laughs) That's exactly what's happening, y'all. Oh my God. I am slogging through these chapters. They are messy and they don't make a whole lot of sense and they're clunky. It's clunky. And I just am being kind to myself. I'm like, you know what? It's okay. It's just I'm warming up. I'm doing my warm-up. And I just have been really using my tools and practicing self-compassion and just knowing it's okay. I just need to get through these first couple of weeks back in the saddle, and it's gonna be great. I know it's gonna be great, right? Everybody say it's gonna be great. Okay. Let's get on with this show. Kate is back. I am excited for you to hear her, as always. She's one of my very favorite people in the world. So y'all, without further ado, here is Kate Courageous. Kate Courageous, welcome back to the show. Hi there. (laughs) I'm all excited. I'm all excited because I think that this is at least your third time on the podcast. You were one of my first guests. I don't know if you remember that. Back in like 2013,
1: of course I remember. I was one of the ones that catapulted you to glory. Yes, no. you <laughs> <did>. <laughs> yes It was you all did. me. It That's was all you. It no, was I'm all kidding, you. I I'm love kidding.
0: how humble you are, too, uh, just like I am. But I, I, you know, you are, as I was telling people in the intro, you are one of my actual real life friends that I talk to on a regular basis. And we don't actually talk a lot about courage and fear (laughs) when we're having personal conversations. Well, we
1: do in this like roundabout way, right? Because we talk about our own stuff where we're like, oh my God, I'm completely stressed out about this thing that's happening. I'm really worried that it's not going to work out. And then, you know, one or the other of us is going, okay, sister, breathe. Right. Like, it's gonna be okay.
0: You know, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be okay. And it's it's good to have those friends. I'm constantly talking to my listeners about their their female friendships and how important they are. And I'm I'm honored to call you one of my top five friends. And I'm so excited to have you on today because it's a big deal. You wrote a book, lady. You wrote and had a book published. I did.
1: I wrote and had a book published. Um, I will I will add in part and and give total props to uh, one Andrea Owen who, like, told me, go talk to Debbie Reber about book proposals and, like, you know, gave me lots of support and
0: encouragement and said, you have, you have to do this. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have so much great wisdom to share with people? Debbie, by the way, was a guest a couple of weeks ago on the show. She just wrote a book. And and as I was mentioning in that episode, she helps people get their book proposals written and to publishers. If traditional publishing is the way you want to go, but Hey everybody, the courage habit, how to accept your fears, release the past and live your courageous life is in bookstores and you can buy it online. Now, of course that link is in the show notes. I encourage everybody to buy it. And everyone knows that this is a topic that I love to talk about too. And the inner critic and fear and having courage and what the hell does all of that actually look like on a day-to-day practical level slash basis. So that's what we're here to talk about today. And let's start from the beginning because in the book, The Courage Habit, you share that there are four like fear patterns, predominant fear patterns that people get stuck in. So can you tell us about those that you wrote about?
1: Totally. So before I go there, though, I'll back up just a little bit because the book is called The Courage Habit, of course, because it's great to make a habit out of practicing courage. But it's also called The Courage Habit because there's this brain-based connection to how we actually live more courageous lives that I get into. And in, in you know, just very, you know, Cliffs, Cliffs Notes terms. It's it's this. Anytime you have a habit in your life, and behavioral habits fall under this as well, they run on a cue, routine, reward loop, and it's controlled by a part of the brain called the basal ganglia. So your basal ganglia is like if something happens and you're trying to figure out how to handle it. If it's a new situation. And that cues up some fear. Your basal ganglia goes, I don't know how to handle this new situation. Let's try, um, let's have a glass of wine. And if that works and actually the routine of grabbing a glass of wine works and makes you more relaxed, which is the reward, then the next time you're really stressed out, your basal ganglia, it's certainly not like a mind control thing, but it's going to remind you like, hey, remember last time when that, that glass of wine worked so well for decreasing stress? So I know that you talk a lot about recovery on your mm-hmm. podcast and certainly there's more to it when we get into substances, you know, there's other biochemical factors at at work, but that's part of how um like substance use can become a habit. Well, when you are trying to change a habit, so if you've got these four fear patterns, you've got to realize that they've become a habit because they've worked on some level. They've actually gotten you to the reward of decreasing stress. And that's going to sound a little counterintuitive at first, but I can explain how that is. And so the four fear patterns are perfectionism, people-pleasing or martyrdom, pessimism, and self-sabotage. And so in that cue routine reward loop, It would look something like you decide you want to write a book or train for triathlon. If your predominant fear pattern is perfectionism, then you feel that cue of like fear about the intimidation of trying to train for triathlon. And perfectionism kicks in and starts going, okay, we got to do it right. We got to do it better. We got to work really, really hard. And that's to get to the reward. And it's a short-term reward probably of feeling like more in control. It doesn't get you to that long term reward that we all really want, which is to feel more resilient, more confident. But in the short term, it works. And same thing with a different fear pattern, like maybe pessimism. You feel that cue of like self doubt. You go into pessimism. Oh, you know, I'm not an athlete. I can't do triathlon. Why could I do that? And then you get the short term reward of, you know, Maybe you just go, not for me. And, and it doesn't work in the long term because maybe you don't do the triathlon, but in the short term, it decreases the stress and intimidation you feel about going after something you really, really want. And this is all happening in the brain. And the point is to figure out how to recognize when it's happening and do something different and change that habit.
0: I love the brain science behind it. And I know you know so much more about that than I remotely do. And also, I love, of course, like three out of the four of those are topics that I go in depth when in my book, because they're so common. And I look at it, you know, from a scientific standpoint, I just was like, here are the patterns that all of my community (laughs) is struggling with. And yeah, I want to talk about it. So, oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, and I think too... And I was thinking about my own experience, and I talked about this a few weeks ago on the podcast, that example that you gave of, you know, both of those examples are things that I was terrified to do and did them anyway, writing a book and training for a triathlon, terrified of both of them, and still heard the voice of, who do you think you are to do that? Like, you can't do that. You're not an athlete. You're not a writer. And I'm trying to remember back, like, what was it that pushed me through that and said, like, well, no, I I actually Can like, let me just try. I, for me, first and foremost, it was getting curious about my perfectionism and also having, um, kind of coming to terms with it and, and really working on that specifically and saying, like, I don't have to do it perfect. I don't have to do all of the research and I don't have to be a quote unquote athlete. Getting curious on, like, what an, what is an athlete? What is a writer? Like, why not me? And, um, I don't know if that's helpful for anyone out there, but just getting curious about it and, being aware that it was going on the perfectionism and the self-sabotage, et cetera.
1: Totally. You're describing the courage habit process. So I'm like, yay. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And we both trained for triathlon and it's just like, you know, that, that, that idea that, you know, Oh, well I'm not an athlete. And, um, you know, I trained for the half Ironman distance, and a big fear that I had the first time I trained for one was, I'm going to get injured, I'm going to get injured, I'm going to do all this work to get you know, to the finish line or to the starting line, and then I'm not even going to be able to do this because I'm going to get some like annoying stress fracture-type injury. And that did not happen, thankfully. Um, and then now I notice that that fear shifts, right? And that's part of the, the thing that I know you talk about too, is that you're not going to get rid of the fear. Um, and there are, you know, three predominant ways that I really see that we try to deal with our fear. Like we try to either avoid it and ignore it or please it and placate it. Like if we just do it right, it won't come up. That's very tied to perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Or we try to attack it and we try we tell it to shut up and and we try to white knuckle our way through. And those aren't very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um they don't actually work long term. Because what I'm about in terms of like how we're practicing courage is not just do you like set a goal for yourself and make it to the the finish line of that goal. What I'm really into is that actually feeling more resilient, emotionally resilient. And there's a discipline of psychological courage that is actually studied. And in the the research on psychological courage, they differentiate between people who white knuckle their way through something and it looks good on paper, but it, it actually isn't like true internal psychological courage. So I think that's a really important differentiation to make, especially because you know we all know or probably most of us at least that you know faking it to make it if you if you make it and then you feel genuinely proud of yourself it's a win but if you fake it to make it and you you technically achieve your goal but internally you still feel all the not enough and mm-hmm. insecurity like like that it doesn't really feel like a true win no. for most people
0: slash Andrea. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Andrea, masterclass.com slash Andrea.
3: Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Yeah, that's
0: interesting, and I I love, of course, that you know you and I talk about triathlon a lot. And can we just like pause for a moment and say how rad it is that you that you've done a half Ironman and and are gonna do it like to me. Th- so I think some people look at even the sprint distance is which what I do, and like when I say sprint, you guys, I am not going like full out the whole time. I'm like la 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 la, la. <laughs> I'm I'm not, but half Ironman. Okay, so let me get tell me if I'm right. It's a, it's a mile swim, fifty six mile bike, thirteen mile run, right?
1: mile swim and a three 13.1 mile run. The
0: the point one, we have to have them because especially for
1: the swim, which I hate the most, that little point two is like so annoying. I'm just like, ah,
0: the last little part (laughs) that is bananas to me. I've done one half marathon before. And during the whole half marathon, which I did run the whole thing. I was like, I don't ever want to do this again, ever. And I have no desire to run a marathon. So I I look at that as like, holy crap, that's that's athleticism. And and forgive me if I'm I'm wrong here, but you you didn't come you didn't come out of the gate like an athlete, right? When I think of Kate, like I don't think like the most no, athletic no, badass no. woman. I mean, no, I don't mean I was, to insult I was you. a
1: runner. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I mean, I was a, I've always been like my preferred activities have always been sitting activities. <laughs> like reading, sitting on, uh, you know, with my laptop and typing to write, sitting at a coffee shop to talk to friends. Mm-hmm. like um I've always been a runner. Um but I I was frequently injured actually, which is part of why I have you know had ha- have had the whole fear about you know injury and stuff like that. And I, I only came to realize speaking of like fear patterns, like perfectionism was part of why I was always getting injured because every single run I was going out and I was going hammering it as fast as I could,
0: and I was always trying to add distance even mm-hmm. if my body wasn't ready mm-hmm.
1: for it because that's what you're supposed to do if you're a you have good all your runner, workouts right?
0: like planned out ahead of time. I'm like, here's my incremental distance and stuff. Oh no, uh, no, I'm not even talking
1: about like, like
0: that's actually a healthy thing to do, to
1: increment, to do incremental distance. I was more like run. If I, if I had a five mile run scheduled and I finished it and I felt like I had anything left in the tank, I would be like, I know I'm going to go seven. Yeah. I would do that too. So I would get injured and (laughs) like, and, and doing triathlon actually has, has kept me injury free, knock on wood for many, many years now. And I, you know, really appreciate it for that reason, but I still hate the swim.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's, it, and again, I was thinking about this. So just this past Saturday, I, and I've been telling my, my podcast listeners that I signed up for this triathlon. As we are recording this, I have about four weeks left. By the time this episode comes out, I think why we'll only have about two weeks until race day. And I've been training with this group and I actually am only able to go and ride with them on Saturdays. The first few rides that we did. Okay. And meanwhile, it's all dudes and, and by all, it's like three of them. Our coach is a guy and there's one woman, but she doesn't come very often. And her husband owns a bike store. So she is like geared up mm-hmm. and they all have really fancy road bikes and I didn't have a bike. So I was borrowing for the first several weeks, my friend's mountain bike, which is so heavy. And, it's not meant to go on these long road rides. It's just it's just not meant for that. And so I am like struggling. <laughs> and I think the old me would have just never have gone and just been like, no, I'm not going to show up with the wrong gear with all these people who are experienced. And I mean, I'm if I couldn't do it right, then I wouldn't do it at all. So I just bought a road bike. And I went out with them and it was a longer ride. And anyway, the coach was saying, he was like, i are really going to hand it to you for for coming out. And he was just acknowledging, you know, that it was a struggle with the mountain bike and everything. And, and he's like, not many people would do that. And I, and it, it kind of got me thinking. And I, and I said to him, you know, I've, I've gotten to the place in my life where I don't care anymore. Like that voice inside my head that says, don't go because you're going to look stupid, and everyone's going to be judging you, and they have to double back so many times to wait for me because I'm like, I'm coming, I'm coming. You're <laughs> <going>. <laughs> waving, and I just don't care. Like you don't have to double back. Like I'm not holding a gun to your head. Like it's not in the rule book. So I think you you kind of have to do this work, and I've gotten there not just because. I turned 40 and it happened. It's like, I have done this work, all of this work that you're talking about. And again, like I was saying, like getting curious and being compassionate with myself. And just to me, bottom line, the other option is to not do it at all or feel like shit about it. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not game for that anymore. I'm just not.
1: You know, like when we talk about resilience, you know what you just described, that's what we're talking about, so it's not that that voice doesn't come up anymore right it still does it's yeah, yeah, it's not that you like you know like beat it into submission or you've figured out the the way to ignore it. It's that it just gets to ride sidecar, and um the the fear of not doing the thing that you really want to do is greater than the fear of. Um, actually, you know, trying and failing, and that's a, a really resilient place to get to. The, the The great paradox is that the more you go into the things you fear, um, the the wider your 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 comfort zone becomes. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's like um, a different orientation than how we're usually marketed to around. Uh, courage. It's it's we li- we very much live in a society that that talks about conquering it so that you can do the things you want to do. And I know what your work is about and what my work is about is about um, knowing that the fear is still going to be there and then still finding your way uh, and, and the ability for you uniquely to be able to do the things you want to do.
0: Yes. I would love for anyone to rewind, rewind that. Can you say that part again about your comfort zone getting wider? That was a really great, great little quote.
1: Yeah. So the resilience is that your comfort zone actually gets, gets wider. And we are often marketed to around, if you can, you know, get your life in order. I mean, there's all different ways that it happens. If you can, if you can just do these things, you'll get to the point where, where you'll conquer your fear and then you'll be able to do these things that you want to do. And what our, you know, hypothesis is in your book and my book is that, It's not about waiting until you don't have the fear to do the things you want to do. It's about going, here I am right here, right now. The fear is going to ride sidecar Mm -hmm. and I'm still going to do the thing that I want to do. I don't have to wait to do the thing I want to do or be the person I, I want to be until the fear is no longer present.
0: Yeah. So true. So, so, so very true. You guys, the courage habit, how to accept your fears, release the past and live your courageous life. Please go out and buy it. And okay. Next question. So in the book, you say that you structure it in a way that is similar to a coaching relationship. So can you explain that a little bit?
1: I, I really feel like we all read books and then it's much easier to read the book than it is to actually like do something different. I feel like I am I can be this way with like a cookbook. I'll buy a cookbook at the bookstore. I'm like, oh, this is so great. so full, So full of great recipes. I'm going to do it. And then it's like, I'm busy. And then it's like, uh, but I'd have to like sit down and make That's up a new shopping really list. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we tend to do that with, I think, self-help. And so... In creating the the Courage Habit book, I I really wanted it to mirror certain aspects of a coaching session. And I'm the director of a life coach training program. Every single coach that I train, or that you know, I'm I'm guessing that Andrea and I do certain things in different ways. You know, like every coach does a couple things a different a a couple different ways. But usually there's some commonalities. And so one of them is starting out the coaching relationship with really getting clear on what it is that the client wants. So in the book, I call that your primary focus. And, um, there are a couple of exercises that actually help someone to get really clear on what that is, um, worksheets and audios that come with the book, which I think are a a ton of fun and was really glad that my publisher allowed me to include because that makes it more, um, practical, but, you know, starting out with going, okay, Don't just like read about fear and courage in this book. Actually decide on something at the beginning of this that you want to work on throughout the book so that you can end the book going, I I chose this as my primary focus. As I went through each chapter, I was working on exercises and things, and I was keeping that primary focus in mind, and then I'm ending the book having either totally made it to what your primary focus is, or at least made some kind of sustained progress. So, I mean, we, we keep bringing up the triathlon example, but, you know, if you're mo- what I call your most courageous self, if you're like, I want to be a badass triathlete, and it is badass. I mean, you hear Andrea and I talking about this. It is badass Pretty to be a is, triathlete. Yeah pretty much is. Um, You know, it's like you start out the book and you go, that's what I want to do. And as you're going through each chapter, working through the worksheets, you're, you're keeping that in mind. So it's not this vague, amorphous thing. And then hopefully by the end of the book, because you've taken such a proactive approach to working through whatever fears you might have about, for example, becoming a triathlete, you would actually have moved the needle a little bit and done something different in your life and started to put it into practical action.
0: Yes, I love that. Oh my gosh. So many good nuggets in here and just how you, I know, I know cause you're my friend that the way that you laid this out was so incredibly intentional and, and science-based as well, which I think is lacking in a lot of self-help books. And, and one thing I really wanted, I don't, I don't want to skip before we end this is talking about your community and the friendships that you create in your life because this is this is what i hear a lot about from women in my community is they struggle with like they feel like okay i'm the one who's doing this self-help work i am the one who's actually doing the work i'm not just reading about it but my friendships they're not willing to be vulnerable they're not willing to be the courageous woman that mm. i am what do i do so what do you what do you say to that question
1: Well, first I'll just say that, you know, just so the reader has the context. There are four parts to the courage habit process, and it's very process driven. So you can, it's not necessarily steps. It's like here are four parts. You can do one of them. You can do all of them. They were most powerful if you do them all together. So part one, access the body. Part two, listen without attachment. Part three, reframe limiting stories. And part four, reach out and create community. Mm-hmm. And so the hardest chapter for me to actually write in the book was the chapter on reaching out and creating community for exactly the reason you mentioned. Because I knew that there were going to be some readers who are like, totally have my community dialed in. I've got my soul sisters. I know who my people are. But there are going to be other people who are going to be describing that exact problem. And so in the book, I really um, encouraged the reader to, first of all, get clear on what courage-based values are. Um, so for instance, a courage-based value would be finding those people in your life who are into confrontation with kindness rather than tough love, because, you know, confronting a friend with kindness is about saying, I need to tell you something that might be kind of hard to hear. And I'm only saying it because I want to help tough love is like this, you know, almost like mirrors your inner critic. Mm -hmm. So recognizing what some of those courage-based values are is going to be, um, Really, really important. But reaching out and creating community, you can actually, if you feel intimidated by that or if you feel like I don't have anyone near me and I, I want to cultivate more of that, you can use some of the other courage habit parts of the process. So for instance, I know that, you know, you've got a, a your kick ass life community. You know, you have, you know, multiple things that you offer. I have a private courage habit Facebook group that's free to join. There are newsletters. There are all these things that are online. Sometimes our communities are not always in person. You and I have been friends for what, like six or seven years mm-hmm. now? Is that right? And we've seen each other in person one time.
0: <laughs> has it only been <laughs> I, one time? It has, huh?
1: Yeah. When I was a million months you were pregnant. pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. So this was like five years ago. So, okay. You know but that doesn't mean that I need to get caught in the limiting story of, well, only my true friends are those people who are right down the street that I can mm-hmm. grab coffee with time. So that's an example of what I mean by how you can use other parts of the courage habit process. You can go, all right, if I feel intimidated about the idea of making more friends access the body, what you know do a scan of the body, what's sphere sensation that's all about. You know, how do I get mindful about it? Um, Maybe I have some fear coming up because I had like a a crash and burn friendship breakup and it's still leaving a thing for me. Listen without attachment. What's the fear saying? Maybe the fear is talking about that friendship that didn't work out. Maybe the the fear is saying, well, you're just not very interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, then reframe limiting stories. Well, hold on. (laughs) You know, there are billions of people in the world. How can it be possible that I'm the one that isn't interesting enough to make a great friend? No, I don't think it works that way, and of course, there's you know reframing beyond the limiting story that you know um, if people in your immediate community don't resonate with you that there's no other option because there are so many other options so I really think that it's about how do you keep checking in with yourself and your internal process and how do you then start taking action even if it's just like a little millimeter of action in the direction of what it is that you want. So maybe your first step is going to be that like you join the Courage Habit group, you don't say a thing to anybody at first, but just joining was that little action that you took for now. And maybe like your next little action is going to be that you, you know, see who's in your area. Maybe you're just looking to see who's in your area. Um, it, It can be really, really small steps.
0: so much of that of what you were saying is is being proactive. I've I've told this story before on the podcast. When we moved from California to the state of Utah several years ago, and I had lived in California my whole life. I had never lived anywhere else before. And I honestly made up that like within six months I was going to have these great female friendships and, you know, it was like a year in and I was, I did not have that. That was not Mm -hmm. my reality. And I couldn't figure out why. And I was crying on the phone to one of my friends about it. And she was like, well, what have, what have you done to, you know, go out there and make these friendships? And I was like, thought about it. And my honest answer was like, I hadn't done hardly anything at all. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I I had joined a gym, but that was it, but I wasn't asking anybody out for coffee. I wasn't, um, all I was focused on was that they were talking about the fun things that they were doing without me. And I'm like, how dare them not invite me?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. When they didn't know you very well. And I, I mean, I think that it's, you know, this is part of it. It's like, I know you went on book tour. I've been on book tour. And it's like, you know, there are a lot of people online saying, I want to practice more courage and meet my community. And then there are a lot of people who don't show up for the actual event when you're in town to help create and facilitate and, you know, make Mm -hmm. the connection. And, and this is the thing. It's like, it doesn't change if all you ever do is, you know, like think about it or want it. And then not actually do it. But I have a ton of compassion for that space because that's where the fear is coming in. And it's like, okay, like, like, how do we shift that? That's the big question for me. You know, I want to, uh, I was flying all over last week and I was meeting people. What are you in town for? And I'd say book tour, what's the name of your book, The Courage Habit. And I'd say, oh, okay. So like, is it like a book where you challenge people to do one courageous thing every single day? <laughs> and I, I was saying, I mean, it can be, but it's really about all the stuff that you feel, the fear and self-doubt that you feel before you can even take the action. Yeah. Because that's where most people get really hung up. And the other thing I'd say too, is that, you know, we're talking about habits here and we're talking about brain-based habits. You don't create a habit once. Your basal ganglia doesn't go, oh, cool, new idea, because it's one time that you move into a courageous routine instead of a fear-based routine. We're literally talking about you have to recognize how perfectionism, people-pleasing, pessimism, and self-sabotage have become brain-based habits that that are like impulses that have become your comfort zone. And You have to now learn how to recognize when you're feeling fear and start going, oh, I'm feeling fear, I'm feeling self-doubt, I'm feeling not enough, whatever words you want to put on it, and go, I need to do one of these other routines, access the body, listen without attachment, reframe limiting stories, reach out, create community. It can be any one of them, but that's the only way, at least from the research that I've reviewed, and there's a full bibliography for anyone else who wants to geek out Mm -hmm. on all the research. That's the only way that I saw from the research I was reviewing that people develop this increased emotional resilience that we are talking about, where where challenges can happen, or maybe the fear is there, or it doesn't go the way that you thought it would be, or maybe you make a mistake, or people criticize your idea or your thing or the way you're doing it, but there's an inner courage and a psychological courage that you develop that has you go... Okay, even though these things have happened that are uncomfortable, I, like I can do this.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, I have a science question for you. I, I, I oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm gonna be embarrassed if I'm like totally wrong.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna be embarrassed <laughs> but, if I don't know the answer because you know I did research for the book, but I, I think you in no this. way do I think that I am an expert in neuropsychology whatsoever. Well, and so. I
0: know I read it somewhere, and it might have been in like Popular Psychology or Psychology Today or some, something like that where it wasn't in like a peer reviewed journal or something or maybe it what maybe it was back when I was in college I can't remember but I remember reading about neural pathways and that when the neural pathways are created in our brain of negative self-talk of the mm-hmm. um the action to self sabotage and perfectionism and things like that and like you were just explaining it's not going to just be one and done where you create a new neural pathway just by doing the the thing one time that's not creating the new habit so when we when we consciously and proactively do these things, like in your book to change our lives, that's when the new neural pathways are created and we have more self-compassion, et cetera. Is that right? Ish.
1: Yes, and neuroscience and neuropsychology are two different disciplines and but they do as as I understand them work together. So neuroscience is like looking at the cellular level, neuropsychology is looking at how like the neural pathways then mm-hmm. influence behavior. So so yes, like this is what you are creating. The first time you ever try to pull on a triathlon wetsuit, I, I don't know anyone who doesn't feel like a complete idiot mm-hmm. trying to get that thing on trying
0: to get zipped up. And yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, but the 20th time that you've done it, it's like, Oh geez, come on, neoprene cooperate with me here. I need to get, you know, like it's, it's, it's just, it's different. It's like,
0: it's just like shoe tying. I mean, there's so many examples of things that we have done, you know, that we learn and then they become a habit.
1: Well, I'll give other examples too that I know like moms can relate to. The first time you're in a store and your kid is being like a total pill, it's like mega embarrassing. And then the 20th time that that happens, it's a little bit like, you know, if another person's looking at you, giving you some shade, you're looking right back at them like, oh, come on. You wanted to, you know, please. Uh, uh-uh. uh. <laughs> and then, you know, like it's, 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 it's all the things. It's, it's really understanding that instead of seeing it as a sign that you're doing something wrong or doing it wrong because you feel the fear and then going, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. It's like, okay, this is just part of the process. If you write a book, you are going to look at what you write and feel like this is crap. Mm -hmm. If you train for triathlon, if you go on a first date, if you started a new job, like it is actually only a very lucky few people who just kind of go out there with a first time with something and feel great. And even those people, I would argue, they don't feel that way everywhere in their lives. Context is everything. So, you know, everybody's got something somewhere. And I know we're all a fan of Brene Brown around here. And, you know, Brene says like the only people who are incapable of feeling uh, shame or selectively shutting down emotion, not feeling empathy, are people who have actual psychopathology. Mm-hmm. So it's not that like the people you see who are doing great things have something you don't. It's that they have practiced something and they have actually created what you're talking about, you know, when you talk about your own feelings or or when I do of going, oh, "Okay, like of course my fear right now is telling me that I'm lame or telling me whatever it tells me."
2: Mm-hmm. That's
1: just how this goes.
0: Good. Okay. I'm glad I haven't been giving people wrong information for the last no, you're not. eight
1: years. <laughs> <laughs> stamp of approval from the person who researched a little bit of neuropsychology. Again, I would never profess to be an expert, but
0: well, and I and I always I have so much respect for people that actually do the research and and take the time to do that in writing self-help. Okay, I have one more question for you before we wrap it up and everybody turns this off and goes and runs out and orders your book. So you, I love that you talk about how fear is a wound and that it needs understanding. And so- I think most people would hear that and think, but if it, I were nice to my fear, I hear this a lot. If I were nice to my fear, then fear would win. You know, I need to have these fierce throwdowns with it because if I don't, then I'm going to end up just being a victim to my fear or it's not going to be my motivator anymore and it's been my motivator. So how do we strike a balance in, in all of that? Well, the
1: balance I turn to is if you are, there's being firm with fear and boundaryed, and then there's practicing abuse. And so for sure. There are workouts I don't want to do for triathlon. There's there's intimidation I have about things in my own life, or or and and the fear comes up, and it's like a very firm, like here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to go out there and we're going to run six and a half miles right now because that's what's on the training calendar. Yes, even though the couch would would feel so much more cozy <laughs> right now, like this is what we're doing, and that's very firm and boundaryed. But there's a real difference between that and actual abuse, where you tell your fear to shut the F up or, you know, you you yell at it. Because when we practice abuse, we become the abuser. And I mm-hmm. think that's a really important thing for people to start to recognize. I often tell people to, to treat your fear the way you would a small child. If your small child is throwing a fit, one hopes that you don't, Avoid it by locking it in a closet and trying to ignore it. One hopes that you don't placate it endlessly because we all know what happens if you placate children endlessly when they throw a fit. They, they become, it's, it's not in their interest to become, <laughs> thinking that the world is going to cater to them. Um, or, of course, you know, and there are certainly people who do this when, when children throw a fit, attacking them. And none of those strategies work. But absolutely, if a child is throwing a total meltdown in the cereal aisle at the grocery store, it's a good thing if that mom says or dad says, hey, this is not okay. We can talk about how you feel. We can go outside and, and you know, I get some feelings are coming out. and And, and that's fine. But hitting your child in the middle of the cereal aisle? or dumping it there and leaving it or handing it 15 boxes of cereal to get it to not throw a fit none of those things are very healthy in the long term for that kid i have so handed it's about my about 15 boundaries. boxes of
0: cereal before i have to say well
1: of course <laughs> but we've all done that we've all done that it's not about being perfect it's about what actually is the most effective thing mm-hmm. in the long term in the long so term, yeah. for sure we've all done that and we've all done that with our fear We've all, you know, tried to talk our fear off the ledge and promised rewards and stuff like that. And um, we've all told our fear to shut the F up Mm -hmm. and we've all attacked it and we've all avoided it and tried to pretend it wasn't there. These, it's not that these strategies can't work in the moment. It's that if they are what we do as our primary strategy, they're not very helpful. And particularly with noticing where we practice abuse, because if we practice abuse, we become the abuser.
0: Yeah. I always say, you know, you've been, you've been talking to yourself this way for a long time and mm-hmm. you know, you're coming to this work, obviously you're interested in this work because the other way is not working and it's okay to put down the boxing gloves for a little while and and be gentle with yourself. And I think that that is for some people doing this work, that is a whole new ball game. And mm-hmm. one that I think is taking, would take some taking used to and You guys, I'm also going to put the other podcast episode, links to the other podcast episodes where Kate has been on. There's one in particular where we talk specifically about The Inner Critic, and I I love everything that you say, and I remember that episode very well and refer people to it a lot. But those links will be in the show notes as well as links to Kate's book. Is there anything, any specific place that I might be forgetting that you want to send people any bonus? You mentioned there's a Facebook group, correct, for people who buy the book?
1: well anyone can join actually so okay. anyone can access the bonus materials by going to yourcourageouslife.com forward slash begin so regardless of whether or not you have the book you can you can get the worksheets and audios and, and get a little taste they of course make more sense in the the overall context of the book the courage habit and then if you search for courage habit on Facebook you can access the private group there as well and that is free as well um, mm-hmm. uh, again it, it all makes more sense when it kind of pulls together, but there are a lot of resources there, and there are actually some people who are acting as Courage Habit ambassadors who are um, all over the United States and going to be having little local Courage Habit meetups in their area. That's something else that I'm really excited about as well because I feel like... um, for sure, virtual communities are great, but in-person communities are also great.
0: Spreading courage. I love it. And I, I am so glad that you did this. And the world needs more courageous people especially more courageous women which i know the vast majority of you are listening and i selfishly in reading your book i'm so glad to have read it because i'm like I, this this is how i changed my life like, <laughs> doing all these things that you talk about in here and it's it's possible this stuff works you guys this stuff works The Courage Habit, How to Accept Your Fears, Release Your Past, and Live Your Courageous Life. Thank you, Kate, for being here and for writing this book. Thank you for having me. Anyway, everybody, thank you also so much for being here. I know how valuable your time is, and I am so incredibly grateful that you spend it here with me and my guests. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.